Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Chaz, and I'm here with Joe to kick you off for another session. Hey, Chaz. So, Joe, the big news and the big talk all at the moment, and I fear that we come back to it every single week, but it can't be avoided. It is COVID. Yeah, it feels a little bit like uh, every week we have to do an update on what the latest situation is in terms of looking forward to the season and seeing a full season of football. This week hasn't been particularly good, uh, particularly if you're a Patriots fan. Uh, it seems that every day we're getting more and more players voluntarily excusing themselves from a season ahead. And if the Patriots go at the rate that they're going, I don't think they're going to have much of a uh, defense to start the season. In the last day, just for full disclosure, we record on a Tuesday. So if you're listening on a Thursday, the situation may have moved even more. But as of Tuesday evening, the Patriots now have six players who have voluntarily decided to not play next season. A few of those players aren't particularly big names, would say that. But we do currently have Donta Hightower and Patrick Chung both out. And those are major pieces of the Patriots defense. So not good news at all. Yeah, and I think part of the worry with fans and with players is something we touched on last week, which is not being able to see a plan of action from the NFL. We touched on basketball and NBA last week, but one of the sports that we didn't really talk about was MLB. And they're having really, really big issues in trying to start their season. There is no bubble. There is no extensive plan like the NBA have. And it was reported just the other day that the Marlins had 14 members of their team that had contracted COVID-19. And the fear is that they may have to put a pause on their season. They've already started to cancel games. It's screwed up with the schedule. And if the NFL don't sort out a plan in a similar fashion, they they might end up being the same way. Yeah. And... One of the things that Major League Baseball has going for it is that despite the season being relatively packed, it's not a hardship to attach a game towards the start or the end of a series if they need to catch up with games. That can be done. With NFL, if a game's cancelled, aside from a bye week, which may have already have happened, you don't have a week to put another game of football in. And you, you, you can't play twice in a week. That's just, that's just not feasible. So any lost games are lost games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw... I can't remember if it was last season or the season before now, but there was the hurricane and it forced Miami to take that bye week in week one. But that that was all they had to stretch with. After that, you know, they're, they're out of options, as you said. There's basically no slack. You'd be getting into situations where playoffs are happening in a condensed manner, which I don't think anyone would want at all. It threatens the sanctity of a game. It threatens the validity of the playoffs if it has to be condensed I, I don't even see that as an option if you lose games things start to get very very complicated and the concern for the NFL is that they don't have the flexibility that other sports might have they're in a kind of worst case scenario really because baseball can't operate in a bubble like the NBA games can it's a different situation the NBA is closing out a season it has a finite amount of games to play it's smaller squads as well. Like, I mean, like you know, you got your first, second and third string and that's less than 20 players. NFL is huge rosters. You can't create bubbles. It's not a feasible option. You don't have the time that Major League Baseball has to absorb these hits if they happen. It's really concerning. And I think that if a momentum of players volunteering to sit the season out continues, then we could pass a tipping point where it almost becomes unfeasible to start the season. 
So let's talk about that briefly then. Yeah. There's a number of players who are considered high risk or have concerns because they live with high risk members of their family. You hate to suggest it, but do you think there is an element of some players using this to their advantage with regards to contract talks and sitting out of seasons? I think it would be very cynical to kind of say that, but it's not kind of as straightforward as that. I think there's a bit of confusion over what counts for for what. So without going into too much detail, there's basically two ways that you sit out a season. It's either voluntary or being high risk. If you voluntarily sit out the season... My belief is, and I could be wrong here, but it's because it's quite kind of opaque and most of the news sites aren't reporting very clearly on this. If you voluntarily sit out a season, that does not count as an accrued season. So if you're, for example, a third year rookie trying to get that accrued season, that won't count if you voluntarily sit out. If you're high risk and you're forced to sit out like Michael Pierce has today, he's not a rookie, so this wouldn't apply to him, but that would count as an accrued season. So the argument for doing this to kind of push contract talks, it's more relevant to rookies who are FAs or UFAs to get that accrued season. But you can't just voluntarily sit out and get an accrued season. That's my understanding. Which makes sense then, because that helps offer some legitimacy to players that are sitting out because of health risks and so on and so forth. And then those that simply choose the fact that they don't want to, that doesn't count towards their accrued season. Yeah, basically, if you voluntarily sit out, then your contract tolls. And by toll, it means that the season just gets postponed by a year. So you basically have a season where you're not getting paid, aside from the 150000 which is deducted from next year's pay. So I, I know there are some cynical people, and I'm often one of those kind of cynical ones. From my understanding of things, it's harder to use this to your advantage, as it might seem for some people. Yeah. So big risk then, and we'll continue to monitor the progress of this and provide weekly updates, it would seem. I I know it wasn't something that we were hoping to constantly dwell on, but I think because it's evolving so rapidly and because the closer we get to the start of the season without a plan, the more and more risk there is of the NFL not going ahead with a full season or even any season at all. It's the biggest story of the off-season, and it's a weekly story that we just have to keep up to date with. Yeah. So with that out of the way, getting on to some player talk, who's uh, first up on the list, Joe? Who do we want to discuss first? So the other big story aside from COVID news this week is the blockbuster trade of Jamal Adams to the Seahawks. This with a few of the trades we've seen so far was probably one where it's only been a matter of time. Jamal Adams has obviously been very disgruntled. He's clearly not got on with Adam Gase. He's made it very public that he wanted a move and he got that. Yeah, I mean, to say that he he didn't get on very well with Adam Gase probably puts it quite lightly. I mean, even since getting the trade he's wanted, he's still come out and said that Gase is not the man to lead the Jets moving forward. And he's thrown some shade at him, hasn't he? Yeah, I would say that Gase is divisive, but to be divisive, you normally have to have supporters. Um, It seems that wherever he goes, Gase seems to upset people. He definitely left Miami under a bit of a storm cloud. And it hasn't taken him long to seemingly lose the dressing room at the Jets. I mean, this is a guy who, within a couple of weeks of being at the Jets, was casting considerable shade towards Levon Bell, who, you know, maybe Gase had a point. Maybe he didn't want to have a high-paid feature running back on his roster. But to publicly state that and basically embarrass the player uh, as soon as he got through the door, 
these are the kind of things that he's been doing so it's probably no surprise that a young stud player like uh, Jamal Adams has been so disgruntled by him let's look at the deal Chaz let's look at the deal I've got quite a strong opinion on this and I strongly believe that the Jets have done very well out of this the Jets sent Jamal Adams and a fourth round pick in 2022 for a first and third round pick in 2021 and a first round pick in 2022 the Jets have basically received something very similar to what the Raiders got for Khalil Mack into first round picks. I think to be receiving that for a safety and a safety who doesn't want to play for you is extremely good business. And in my view, there's no other way of looking at this aside from the Seahawks have massively overpaid her. I think that the Jets have certainly done very, very well from this. Uh, as you mentioned, Adams did not want to stay. He he was out the door. He wasn't going to be a productive member of the team. I, I couldn't imagine if he'd have stayed. I think that what they got in return for him was fantastic for the Jets. They're a team with a very thin roster and with not a lot of outstanding talent. Adams was not the man to build the team around. And outside of you know their quarterback, there, there's not a lot of exceptional talent there in the Jets. So actually, aside from Frank Gore, <laughs> who we never sleep on, <laughs> never sleep on but, Frank. <laughs> but those picks for the Jets then become exceptionally important, like really, really helpful because that allows them to to start to rebuild. So I think in terms of the Jets getting something from that trade, they've done brilliantly well, really, really well. On the counter side to that. The only thing that I would say is, I suppose when we're talking about overpaying, it's easy to view it in terms of comparing what we traded for a different player another time of the year, so on and so forth. But in terms of what the Seahawks gain from this and the value that they place in those picks as a challenging team, I don't know if it necessarily is an overpay. They get arguably one of the best safeties in the league on their team. And yes, they've given away a bunch of first picks and and some early round picks. But for them, as a team that is pushing for for playoff, are they that valuable? Are those picks that valuable for them? And I think as well, when you look at the Seahawks' record in terms of their drafting, you could argue that they don't do a great job with those picks anyway. So actually, was it a big loss for what they're getting back? Well, Charles, I think that you can objectively say that they've overpaid for him. If we just look at the draft in 2020, Xavier McKinney, he was the first safety off the board in this year's draft. Where did he go? Do you know? No, no, you tell me. He didn't go to the second round. He was a second round 36th pick overall. Then you had Kyle Duggar, another safety, next pick, pick 37. And then you had Grant Delpit, who was top of my board for safeties, coming straight up LSU, and he went with the 44th pick. So, you know, in a in a class that was very deep in defensive backs and teams obviously felt a need at safety, no one took a safety until the second round. Safeties are important, but they're not part of the spine of a team. They don't have the same impact on a game that a destructive defensive end will, that a destructive 3-4 linebacker will. Yeah, but they're, they're rookie safeties. And I think what the Seahawks have paid for is a proven accomplished safety and I think part of the feeling with the Seahawks is we don't have to take the gamble through the draft pick we we can actually give up some draft capital and know what we're getting and feel confident that 
that's a value to us. No safety is worth two firsts and a third. I'm going to say that. No safety is worth that. You know, the Bears probably overpaid for Khalil Mack. And Khalil Mack, he has more of an impact on the game than a safety, than any safety would. And he was probably expensive at two firsts. Two firsts and a third for a safety. It's madness. And don't get me wrong. Adams is a good player, but he's not a complete safety either. The way that he plays, he's not a coverage safety. He's more, he's leaning in towards a kind of hybrid linebacker role. And fine, maybe, maybe if we're starting to call him a linebacker, then what? But again, the stats, the stats don't really back things up. In terms of, like, you know, nearly half of his snaps, he had 400 snaps in the box last year. So, so he was in the box, he was in that kind of hybrid linebacker role. His whole career, three seasons, he's had six forced fumbles. He's not the biggest hitter, but he's been played like a hybrid linebacker. Ugh. Jamal Adams is a good player, but he's not the best safety, and I definitely don't think he's worth two first picks. I think this is going to be one of those trades that the Seahawks might look back on as being a debilitating trade for the organization in years to come. Having no first-round picks for the next two years is pretty major. In a team that does have problems in parts of its roster, you know, no offensive line and questionable depth at wide receiver. Okay, so I, I'd be interested then to know who you think is the best safety and what you think the difference is between, say, them and Adams. Okay, I'm biased in this, and I will admit that I'm biased in this, but I think that... Harris? <laughs> not Harris, Harrison Smith. Andy Harris had a very good season last year. Harrison Smith is the best safety in the league, and... I think if you look at his game tape, there's plenty to look there. But I think that statistically, he's also easily far and above better than Jamal Adams. Harrison Smith is a player who hits harder when he plays in the box, when he lines up to rush the passer or run stop. He's extremely effective. But Harrison Smith is better in coverage as well. Every single season that he's played, Harrison Smith gets interceptions. Every season that Jamal Adams has been in the league, Harrison Smith has intercepted the ball more than him. Adams, in his career, as a safety, as a safety, has only ever intercepted the ball twice. That's all he's ever done. Harrison Smith has only had one season that was injury-laden where he didn't intercept the ball twice. I mean, every single season, he's, you know, between three and five interceptions. He's doing this, but then he's still capable of doing that in-the-box hybrid linebacker role. Harrison Smith is the best safety in the league. I'm biased. Sue me. Harrison <laughs> Smith is the best safety. Because I suppose the way that I'm potentially looking at this is the Seahawks could have used all those picks and maybe never come up with a single player who's going to make as much of a difference as Jamal Adams is going to make for them. Likewise, the Jets can use all the picks they've just gained. And even if every guy ends up only being half as good as Adams, they're still going to be a better team for them. I'm not sure, you know, they're two teams with different needs. And I think maybe both sides have got what they need from this trade. Again, I disagree. I think that if you're a if you're being paid to be in a front office of a National Football League team, you have to assume that every first round pick that you're going to do is going to be a home run. You can't have the thinking of, oh, we might not do a very good first round pick. Well, then get out of here. Get out of the front office. Well, get someone in who knows what they're doing. Get a scouting team that knows what they're doing. I think there are some arguments that the Seahawks need that, though. I mean, their track record has not been great for first round draft picks. But I mean, look at players they have managed to pick up in the draft. They managed to get some 
probably potentially bargains when you get DK Metcalf second round 64th pick overall he's been pretty good for a second round pick you've got players like Shaquem Griffin who they picked up in the fifth round 141 right but that's a fifth round pick so if they're doing that in the fifth round do they need the first round picks I mean look I think that whatever way you look at it, a first round pick is value. A first round pick is value. And, and fine, right? If your argument is that the front office can't be trusted to use a first round pick, which I don't really think that you can use that argument. But if you want to make that argument and put that forward, then use two first round picks to get something better than Jamal Adams, because two first round picks should get you more than a safety. Yeah, fair enough. That's the argument there. If that's what you feel, then that's the case. I suppose for the Seahawks, they felt they had a real hole in safety and Jamal Adams fills that hole. They know what they're getting. He's proven he's got a good track record and maybe they don't view those draft picks as particularly valuable for them. They're in a win-now mode, so I, I suppose for them it makes sense. I don't think it's a bad trade for them. To your point, you could kind of statistically look at it as an overpay. But if they're getting what they need from it, then is it an overpay? I mean, less, we're going to have to wait and see how he performs. It's an overpay. Like, oh, Here's a question then. Is it an overpay if it gets them to Super Bowl? And I'm not saying that it, it will, but is it an overpay if that is the outcome? It is extremely next to impossible to influence the game enough from safety to say that a safety has got a player to Super Bowl. Not in isolation, but if collectively, if he joins the team and they make it to Super Bowl, and partly that is due to his contribution, is it still an overpay? Let me flip this onto you. To justify this, he will have to play at least the value of a first-round pick better than what Minka Fitzpatrick plays. And Minka Fitzpatrick was extremely, extremely good last year. Very, very good. The Steelers did very well out of him, but the Steelers gave up a first-round pick rather than the first-round picks. I suppose what I'm saying is, I don't think he does need to perform that well. That's not the objective. These players aren't playing in isolation. If you're giving away two first-round picks, you need to be game-changing. You can't just be filling a hole and just, oh, yeah, we've finally got a decent safety in now. But if, no, if you're giving away two first-round picks... makes your team better to the point where you can challenge it for won't. Super Bowl, well... It won't. But that's what they've paid for. Okay, so if he is not able to improve their team that much, then... Yes, it's an overpay, but if he does fill that hole and the team collectively can perform better as a result of it and they go on to challenge, then it's not an overpay. The impact that, that he manages to, to give, bearing in mind that he's not a player who makes interceptions, he doesn't make interceptions, he's not going to do pick sixes and run the ball back, you know, he's not going to do that. He is not going to change his team to the value of two first round picks. He's, I would be surprised if he plays better than Minka Fitzpatrick did. He was incredible, but there's just no way. There's just no value in what the Seahawks have done here. And there's many things that they could have done with those two first-round picks. They could have traded for a safety. They could have traded for... They could have probably have got Anthony Harris for a first-rounder because the Vikings did actually want to shop him and they only had him on the franchise tag because they didn't want someone else to have him on the free. But they could have probably traded a first-round pick and got Anthony Harris, who you know, last year was the best graded safety in the whole of the National Football League. They've overpaid here, and I just I just don't think I can see this any other way. Fair enough. There we go. The next topic that we were going to discuss, and again, I'll let you lead us in on this one, Joe, 
but there's been some beef in the NFL Beefs. over the last week or so. <laughs> <laughs> so beef this week. It's quite funny, really. The NFL is doing its 100 player lists that it does every year. And it's a bit of a... I think that anyone who really follows the game has to take it with a pinch of salt because it's more of a clickbait thing than anything else, really. It's a National Football League. Well, someone got baited, that's for sure. Uh, someone absolutely did get baited. But if you really want to break things down, it's almost impossible to put a top 100 players agnostic of position. It's just not something that you can really do. But anyway, the news was the kind of basic format for this, again, with the National Football League trying to extend things out, make the most of things, get as much mileage as they can from stuff. They release 10 players at a time. I think it's every like Tuesday night or something like that. So we've had some of the list come out and basically... Keenan Allen was not very happy at being 77th on the list. Yeah, but it's not a talent list though, is it though, Joe? It's a speed list. So what's the point? <laughs> it's just a measurement of who's quickest. It's just a damn popularity contest. And in his anger, Keenan Allen called out Mike Evans and the wrong Chris Godwin on Twitter uh, to say that they were faster than him, but he was the better wide receiver. I mean, can you imagine being so angry about a list that largely nobody cares about to the extent where you're calling people out on Twitter. That's so embarrassing. I think it's pretty embarrassing, really. I mean, Mike Evans, he's nothing to do with this list. He didn't. And and in fairness to him, I think he came back with quite a magnanimous tweet where he kind of laughed it off and said that he didn't come up with a list, but that Keenan Allen wasn't on the same level as him. Uh, so I, th- I think in terms of the Twitter war, uh, Mike Evans came off best. I think in terms of who is the better player here, it's really it's really quite hard to make too much of a case for Keenan Allen if you just look at pure stats alone. He hasn't really had a yardage that Mike Evans has had. He doesn't have the same touchdown production that Mike Evans has. So he's on to a loser just on the kind of headline stats there. Part of his... Uh kind of grievance was the fact that the year before he was at number 38 and this year he's at number 77 and he was seething. I can kind of get this though right because if you're Keenan Allen the NFL 100 list is quite a big list like the league kind of makes it their thing in this kind of period that we're in now where basically the only news is corona and if corona wasn't really a thing then you'd have hardly any news whatsoever so this is their kind of thing to fill in this time and so everyone around the league is kind of focused on it they push it on the network it's quite a big thing now Keenan Allen if he's coming to the end of a contract it's a different proposition to be either the 38th best player in the league, the 77th best player in the league, or to not be listed whatsoever. It, it's not huge. It's not going to, you know, add millions on, but it is a bit of leverage. It, it makes it easier for you to get a decent contract. In my opinion, aside from the stats, Keenan Allen is the better player. I threw shade at Mike Evans a couple of weeks ago. I stand by that. And the key thing for me with these two guys, they're both good wide receivers. What makes Keenan Allen so good is something that Mike Evans, I think, doesn't have so much, is that you can throw that ball to Keenan Allen, and if he's on the sideline, if he's in double coverage, if whatever's happening, he's got a better chance of catching the ball. The catch rate of Mike Evans over his six years in the league so far is only just over half. It's 55.3%. Keenan Allen is much higher at 68.4, which is higher for a wide receiver. You go back to his 2018 season and his catch rate was over 70%. It was over 70% in 2015. 
Mike Evans just doesn't get to these levels. He's never had a season where he's caught more than 62% of the balls that have come his way. He's wasteful. And I think the reason his stats are so high is because he's just basically had James Winston just throwing everything. Lobbing bombs. Just lobbing bombs. Just like, I don't even know what to compare him to really, but he's just shooting out bombs every single week. And so he's a hungry mouth and he is, he is doing a banquet for him. Philip Rivers is a gunslinger. He likes he likes to air the ball, but I think the Chargers have been a more balanced team. They haven't been playing from behind as much over the last five years. Last season, not so much. But I mean, if you look for years kind of prior to that, they were a competitive side, so they weren't having to air the ball out. Keenan Allen, though, he was reliable, and if Philip Rivers needed that first down, if it was third and eight, and he needed to get those yards, Keenan Allen was the man, and I think that. Most quarterbacks would rather have Keenan Allen there than Mike Evans because Mike Evans, wasteful. Yeah, and I mean, something that Allen did touch on and I think you're starting to see a bit of a pattern change in in the league in terms of some of those fan favourites, but people are turning to the speedsters. Allen calls out Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, you know, these fast wide receivers that can make big yardage if they get clear, they're flashy and they can get massive yardage and score crazy touchdowns that are really, really helpful for their team. But they're not the bread and butter players. To your point, they're in a tight situation. You can put the ball in their direction and they've got a good chance of catching it. This is the difference between college football and pro football. The level of cornerback play is so much higher that just being fast doesn't mean anything. The cornerback you're lined up against, he's going to be fast as well. And if it was just down to speed, then John Ross would have been the greatest wide receiver in the league that the league has ever seen. But the last time I checked, he hadn't really done much at the Bengals. Tyreek Hill is a different beast. I'm not lumping him into this speedster because I think Tyreek Hill has other qualities that separate him from just being a pure speedster. So so let's take him out of this. But yeah, these pure speedsters, no, the cornerback's just as fast as you. There's even some linebackers who are nearly up to that kind of speed. Being fast just doesn't mean much. You need to have the separation. And I would say that separation at the line is more important than speed. You can have rudimental speed, basic speed, but if your separation is good, you'll make a success of it. Adam Phelan, perfect example. Julian Edelman, perfect example. You don't need speed all the time. I mean, I think my favourite thing about the ramp was how he signed it off like a sassy mum. I don't know if you saw saw the actual tweet, Joe. I didn't see the sassy (laughs) sign-off. So he went on, you know, like, yeah, you're not better than me. You might be faster than me, but I've got better separation. Child, please. (laughs) Oh, look, look, I'm Team Keenan. I think he is the better player. No, come on. I think think that. I think that's what you're Team Keenan about, that he is the best player. But I think we're both in agreement that the outburst was ridiculous. Oh, the outburst was ridiculous. And uh, But do we know? <laughs> it does look like he was being quite serious about it. He'll probably turn around and say that he was just joking. I-, I think that's the only way back for him from any embarrassment, really. I don't think you're just joking, though, when you tag the wrong Chris Godwin. That's a pure rage move. Like <laughs> that, <laughs> that is you being so angry, you don't even take the time to check that you've tagged the right person. You tag a random Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin in uh, Scotland. Oh, but he's got nothing to do with anything at all. It's got a random tweet from an NFL player. <laughs> yeah. His inbox must be blowing up blowing right now. Up. He must have woken up because obviously it would have been American time. He must have woken up one day in Scotland and gone, what the hell? But I mean, this is a very, very fair point, though. 
there's probably no doubt at all that Keenan Allen is better than Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin's had a good season. He's not better than Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen's been top of the game for the last six years. Keenan Allen, I think, is a wide receiver who doesn't get the praise he should get. And that's partly because there's been a lot of mouths to feed, so he hasn't had a touchdown production of some other elite wide receivers. But, you know, he's an extremely reliable pair of hands. And, um, yeah, he's been a very good player since he entered the league. He's had some huge games. Yeah. So we're gearing up to the start of the season, hopefully, if it all goes ahead on time. And one thing that we're keen to do is make sure that we cover as many teams, as many players as possible before we kickstart the season and start talking about the games and the performances. So that's something that we're going to be bringing up in the next couple of weeks, just maybe shining a light on some of those teams that we haven't yet discussed. So to finish this particular episode this week, one thing that we wanted to do just for a bit of lighthearted fun and to get a few opinions out on different players that we might not have touched on yet was a quick, who do you think is going to have a better season? We'll try and cover various positions and different teams. Joe has put together a selection of players that have a very comprehensive theme. Uh, they're very nicely tied together. Mine are perhaps a little looser. Looser than Gandalf's sleep. <laughs> you shall not pass. So, I mean, the reality is, Joe, you've actually answered my first pairing because I knew we were going to talk about Keenan Allen and Mike Evans. My first pair up was which of the two do you think are better? But I think we're uh, we're in agreement that it's Keenan Allen. Yeah. So I'll move on to my second pairing, which is Ben Roethlisberger or Sam Darnold. So obviously, Sam Darnold, he's had a season under his belt now. He's moving on and developing. They have lost Adam Zoe, as we've just discussed. Ben Roethlisberger, on the other hand, the Steelers, they've really been improving their defense and potentially stand to have a, a good year this season. So out of those two quarterbacks, who do you think is going to have a better season next season? Roethlisberger. Really, really simple. He's a better quarterback. Well, OK. <laughs> That's an easy, easy question. Roethlisberger is a better quarterback. He has better tools around him. Um, and as well as that, he gets to play the Bengals uh, twice. Um, so yeah, Roethlisberger every day of the week. Yeah, I think Roethlisberger too, but he is getting towards the end of his career. He did have the elbow injury, but I agree with you. If he stays on the field, he'll have a massively uh, better season than Sam Downard every day of the week. Cool. Who have you got? Okay, I'm going to go next. Uh, I'm going to ask you who is going to have the better season uh, two veteran tight ends here, Gronk or Witten. Witten playing his first season outside of Dallas and he's with the Raiders. That is so tough because both tight ends have a real history of performance and both tight ends have also had a period of retiring and returning to the game. I think it's going to be close, but I think if I was forced to make a decision, I would probably err on the side of Gronk. And my reasoning behind that is I think that we touched on this a couple of weeks back. The Raiders have a lot of offensive options. I think that ball's going to be spread around quite a bit. And I don't know what Witten's role is going to be with the Raiders. Is he there to be a mentor or is he there to be tight end one? And I just don't know how much of the ball he's going to see. Obviously, Gronk's got competition as well, but I think with Brady throwing the ball, there is that chemistry that already exists. So I think I'd put money on Gronk having a slightly better season than Witten. Okay. I think they're both going to have crap seasons, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
they're both going to have terrible seasons. Uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And it'll be nice to see both of these players playing in their prime again. But look, Gronk didn't play last season. He managed to shrink down to Mr. Puniverse somehow and just lose all his muscle mass. So he's he's playing with a new body this year after having put like, all his mass back on. The season before that, Belichick wasn't really using him as a receiver anymore. He was using him as a glorified blocker. So it's been about three years since he's played like he liked to play in his prime. Um, so I just can't trust him to get much or do much in Tampa Bay. Then Jason Witten. I mean, Witten was still performing with the Cowboys right up until when he left. You know, he was still getting the touchdowns. He was a, he was a red zone threat at least. Yeah, but that's because he's just such a big guy. Yeah, as is Gronk. Yeah, yeah. But look, these are guys who've both got so much mileage on the clock. Witten's got more mileage, less injuries, but I mean, so many seasons with the Cowboys. At his stage in his career now, he's going to a different team, having to learn the playbook. And I mean, tight end isn't just, it's not just something where you can just walk in and run a few routes like you can as a wide receiver and you know you might not have that chemistry with a quarterback but anyone can run a slant anyone can you know run a fade at tight end you've got to also mesh with a line so there's more to learn and I think you know it's a lot to be asking at his stage in his career yeah I, I, neither player I think is going to be very productive yeah I think you're probably right okay so uh, we were talking about safeties earlier I wanted to get your opinion on whether you think Malcolm Jenkins or HaHa Clinton Dix is going to have the best season. Obviously, Clinton Dix has just moved to the Cowboys and Malcolm Jenkins is with the Saints. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. I'm going to put this on potential, not on maybe the last couple of seasons form, but if HaHa Clinton Dix gets a fresh start and plays more like he did at Green Bay rather than Bears, I think that's... I think he could have a very good season. And so I'm going to say ha Clinton Dix. Oh, interesting. I'm not of a strong opinion of that, and I'm not going to argue that one because I'm not convinced. But if I had yeah. to pick one, ha Clinton Dix. Yeah, fair enough. I think I'd still back Malcolm Jenkins, but I can completely understand why you're going that way because, as you said, I think it's going to be close between the two of them. Cool. I'm going to hit you with another old boy face-off here. Xavier Rhodes or Chris Harris Jr.? Xavier Rhodes, obviously his first season outside of the Vikings. He has moved to uh, the Colts. Had a terrible season with the Vikings last year. Still managed to make Pro Bowl, which just shows what a joke Pro Bowl is. But um, definitely his worst season. I think a PFF rating, one of the worst in the league. A terrible year. Chris Harris Jr., again, a player who's on the decline or seemingly on the decline. Moved out of Denver now, um, making a fresh start. So both vets both potentially past their best, both playing for new teams, who's going to have the better year, Chaz? Yeah, that is a tough one. Chris Harris Jr., he's landed at the Chargers, hasn't he? So it's Chargers and... Uh... Do you know what? Xavier Rhodes looked completely disinterested last year. I mean, he just looked so disengaged with the Vikings. He was shot. He was absolutely shot last year. I've never seen such a switch in performance from the season before. From a player that just looked like he really didn't care one bit. If he has moved and this has re-energised him and given him the passion to play football again. I mean, Xavier Rose is an unbelievable talent. 
So he's going to the Colts now. They're a team that have done a really good job rebuilding. We talked about them being kind of sneaky good next season. If he enjoys playing with them, I think he could go on and do it. I just think I saw no joy in what he was doing last season. And I don't even know if playing for a new team even brings that back. He just seems annoyed with everything. So I'd probably go Chris Harris Jr., who at least seems to still be trying hard, even though he might not be getting the results that he's hoping for. He didn't fall off a cliff as much as Rhodes did. Yeah, exactly. So I think he's kind of got less distance to come back from. Right, next up on my list, obviously as a Green Bay fan uh, and having Aaron Jones in my fantasy team and knowing your love for Kenyon Drake, I wanted to get your opinion on who you think is going to have a better season. Drake, Drake, Drake. And the reason is he can do more. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that I'm someone who says that using a committee back approach is the best approach and I stand by that. But if you do have someone who is capable of feature back role, especially when he's someone who's cheap like Kenyon Drake is, use him. And I mean, Kenyon Drake is a player who can do that. When when he's on the field and he's and he's allowed to play, he can be one of the most electrifying backs in the league. What do you think Drake can do then that Jones can't? Catch the ball. Jones can catch the ball. Jones got a, a hell of a lot of snaps last season and ripped off some big plays off the back of it. Okay, Kenyon Drake is more dangerous catching out of the backfield. I mean, Aaron Jones, yeah, he had just shy of 500 yards receiving last year, but he never closed the door on Jamal Williams. If he was that good as a feature back by himself, Jamal Williams wouldn't still be in the conversation at Green Bay. Jamal Williams was in the conversation because they didn't want to run Jones into the ground. It wasn't that. It was that, man. It was. They wanted to keep him fresh for Super Bowl, and he was very fresh for that Super Bowl run. What Super Bowl? Okay. We got further than you did, mate. Okay. And Dalvin Cook couldn't save you. It wasn't a resting thing. They didn't know early in the season who was a better player still. Aaron Jones, don't get me wrong. Rushing, yeah, he was very effective. Most rushing touchdowns in the league last year, equal with Derek Henry, I think, hit 16. Great. You know, well done there. But I just don't feel that he's an electric player in the same way that Kenny Drake is. And, you know, we're, we're saying, you know, 500 yards like it's a good thing. Aaron Rodgers literally had no one to pass to aside from Devante Adams, and he wasn't even on the field for four of the games. So he basically had no one to pass to, and still, with his receiving back, he only gave him 500 yards. Well, yeah, but I mean, (laughs) okay. But I think the fact of the matter is he can catch the ball. I think he can do everything Drake can do. He's not incapable of doing certain things. Sure, you can argue that Drake is a better player. I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I don't think I would agree either. I think they're very similar players. I think, obviously, Jones is a bit more powerful and a bit more rushing orientated, whereas Drake's probably a bit quicker and a a bit trickier and slipperier. But I think that... Drake only started 10 games last season because he was getting messed around at Miami. And in the two games he did start there, they were in blowout losses where the team was just getting wiped. But in starting only 10 games, he still had 350 yards receiving. He was only just shy of getting up to 1,000 yards rushing. Still had eight touchdowns rushing. You know, this is someone who's had to go to a new team, learn a playbook, learn everything there. And he's been extremely effective. He was breaking out for huge games when he went to the Cardinals. He's an exciting player. And I think whenever he's had the chance, he's made the most of it. 
in my opinion, and this is a subjective opinion, in a subjective view, I think that Drake is a more exciting and he's got more upside than Aaron Jones. I think that there's not trust there at Green Bay with Jones. And again, the Packers drafted a running back this year, so he's probably not going to be there in two years' time. So I think that is the thing that's going to limit his performance this season. I don't think it's got anything to do with his capability or the fact that Kenyon Drake is a million miles a better running back than Aaron Jones. I just think he's going to have more competition, which could potentially limit his performance. I think they're pretty equal in, t- in terms of their ability. Maybe Kenyon Drake has some more kind of electric dynamic plays than Jones, but Jones knows how to punch the ball and, and get the touchdown. So He punches the ball well. But if Green Bay really liked him that much and they thought he was that good, A, Jamal Williams would have gone, and B, they wouldn't have drafted A.J. Dillon with their second-round pick. What, you mean like they drafted a quarterback with their first-round pick because Aaron Rodgers isn't that good? I don't I don't think that is a sign of anything with Green Bay and their drafting. Drafting a running back in the second round is different. You draft a running back in the second round if you're going to use him. You can draft a running a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, and I think bench. they want to use him because I, I, they don't want a Todd Gurley situation. They don't want to run Aaron Jones into the ground. Mate, Aaron Jones ain't going to be there in a year's time. He's going to be a free agent next year when he's out of Green Bay. They're not going to pay him the uh, cash to stay around. So if they liked him that much still, they might as well use him because they've got a year left with him. If there's a year left and then he's gone. Yeah, but they need someone backing him up, right? If someone else is going to take his place. You could draft a running back next year. Look, I I don't think he's going to have a good season at all. Well, no, no, no. I'm being harsh. He's not going to have a season as good as last year. He's not going to get 16 touchdowns. I agree with that. I don't think he's, he'll get 10. And I reckon Kenyon Drake will score more. Kenyon Drake will score more rushing. And Kenyon Drake will score more receiving touchdowns than Aaron Jones. Okay, fair enough. I've, I think... Again, I think it's going to be a close one. I would still put money on Aaron Jones having a better season than Drake, but I think it's close. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. Right, who's the last one on your list then? So I've hit you with a few old guys for my first two. For the last one I'm going to do tonight, uh, I'm going to put you with Jerry Judy, receiver out of Alabama, drafted by the uh, Denver Broncos. And I'm going to say, is he going to have a better season than Henry Ruggs III, also a receiver? Drafted by the Raiders, both out of Alabama. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've touched on this very, very slightly when we we're talking about Keenan Allen. I think the difference between these two players is speed and kind of route running and finesse. Judy is a very technically gifted wide receiver. And I think Henry Ruggs is a very quick wide receiver that can make and break big plays. Judy has more potential. I think in the long run, he is going to be the better wide receiver. But I think in terms of who's going to have the best season next season, I think I'd probably say Ruggs. I think he's going to be put on a team where there are no clear favourites with the Raiders. I think there's a lot of new people that have come into that offence and everyone's going to have an equal chance with Derek Carr. And I think that... Ruggs has a really, really good opportunity to make some massive plays for the Raiders, especially if they're playing from behind. So I think maybe Ruggs has the best season, but I think in the long run, Judy will be the better player. Okay, I'm going to go in and say that I think that Ruggs is going to be this year's John Ross. Oh, really? Yeah, look, he's a fast player. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And in college, in college that works. So in college, you'll have touchdowns, you'll have yards because... 
you can skin cornerbacks who aren't at the level that you're at as a wide receiver. You can't do that in the National Football League. And if you can't get separation at the line, which he's never had to really worry about as much, then you're not going to get the production that you had. And I think that Judy is more NFL-ready. He's more capable of getting that separation. And so I think that Judy's going to go straight in there. This will really bring Drew Locke on in his second year. So for me, it's going to be Judy. Okay, there we go. Well, I think that's covered a fair few players there, which is good that we get the opportunity to talk about as many players as possible before we kick off and hopefully begin the new season. As always, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Joe, even if we don't always agree. It's been a pleasure. I'm just looking at my phone just as we sign off now, and it's just pinged up that 21 players in the league have coronavirus. So um, let's see how many have it by the next time we chat next week, Jazz. Yeah, chat next week. Catch you then, mate. Thank you.